Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, who was di- and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived the power had gone, has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people who had, that she, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this uh, season when we get to come and worship you uh, with other believers and celebrate the birth of our Savior, to celebrate uh, your Son's entrance into this world, the first advent, the first coming. Uh, it has been a joy this month to, uh, to rejoice together, to celebrate together, and to, to ponder what it means to say that God is with us, that Emmanuel is with us. And uh, we just uh, thank you for that. We pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand uh, this morning's text, uh, help us to see what you're doing here, and help us to, to walk away, to leave this place in a little while, uh, better equipped to follow you, and just with a greater, uh, a greater vision of what it means uh, that, that uh, Christ is our Emmanuel. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Every year in uh, late November, uh, a charity in Austria selects a child. They select a child and they fly him. Usually it's a boy because it's a scouting thing. They, they fly him from Austria to Israel. And when they get to Israel, the child is brought to a specific church. It's in Bethlehem, and it's the Church of the Nativity. And there the child lights a lamp from an oil lamp. Uh, there in, in a particular cave inside this church, uh, an oil lamp that has been continuously burning for more than a thousand years. This oil lamp has been kept lit for a thousand years. The boy lights his lamp. He's brought a lamp with him. He lights his lamp from that lamp. And he brings it back with him to Austria. And the lamp there in the Church of Nativity, the imagery is is kind of vivid, it it represents the light of Christ. It's the light that God shone into the world when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Because that church, if you don't know, that church marks the traditional location of where uh, Jesus was born. And so the child lights his lamp from that lamp, brings it back to Austria, And then other people and other groups start lighting their lamps from the light he's brought back, and and then they take it to where they are, and other people come and light their lamp, and and it spreads that way all over the world. 
they call it the peace light, uh, the peace light, and it hasn't been around a long, long time. It actually started back in 1986 during kind of the late, uh, the collapse of the, the, the Soviet empire. It was kind of tied to that a little bit. Uh, and they, they, they started this, and they call it the peace light. And every year it's gotten a little bigger. Every year it's gone, spread to a few more nations, a few more places every year. It's just a symbol, of course, uh, but it's a good symbol. It's a good symbol because that is exactly what Jesus came to bring to the world. He came to bring peace. Uh, This morning is the the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we've been exploring this month what it means to say that Jesus is Emmanuel, that Jesus is God with us. We've been keying off of that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, The virgin will give uh, birth to a child, and he shall be called uh, Emmanuel. And so we've been thinking about what does that mean to say that that Jesus, whose birth we're celebrating, that he is God with us. What does that mean? And and, and we've been following the traditional themes of Advent, so we've talked about hope, we've talked about joy, we've talked about love. This morning we're going to talk about peace. God with us brings peace. That's what we're focusing on today. And that is what the angels said when, when they announced the birth of Jesus, right? You think of that passage in Luke chapter 2. Hopefully you'll read it this week sometime or maybe next Sunday. But Luke, <clears throat> Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace uh, to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, Jesus was born, <laughs> the angels tell the shepherds. He was born to bring peace. And it wasn't just when he was born, though, and that's been kind of what I've been trying to bring home this month. Uh, It's not just that these things, hope, love, joy, peace, it's not just that they uh, come to us in the birth of Jesus, it's it's that he he keeps bringing those things. He he kept bringing them. When you look at his ministry as an adult in the Gospels, and when we look at how he's still working in our world today, he still brings peace. And so that's what I want to talk about. Jesus is still bringing peace. To, to our troubled souls, our souls that need his peace so much. He still brings peace to troubled souls today. Uh, we are in that passage this morning, Luke chapter 8, and I'm actually going to, I asked Teresa to stop after that, that first half. I'm going to do all the way through to the end of the chapter, though, this morning. And as we're looking at this passage, the passage I want to look at with you tells the story of actually two women, two women, one older, one younger, who needed peace. These two women need peace. Uh, They were both facing difficulties, big problems, troubles in their lives, and they needed peace, that restoration, that wholeness. That's really what biblical peace is. It's not just kind of sitting on the back deck watching the sunset. That's that's a a type of peace. But biblical peace is is richer than that. it, It has to do with restored relationships and being restored to God and to one another and, and being restored to wholeness. That's, that's biblical peace. And these two, these two women that we look at in this text, they both needed that. They needed the peace that only Jesus could provide for them. So we're gonna, uh, I want to do three things <clears throat> with the time we have this morning. Um, first, I want to look at two types of troubled souls. I think as we look at these two, they're not the only types of ways our souls can be troubled, but they're pretty common ones. So two ways our souls can be troubled, two types of troubled souls. Uh, second, after we do that, I want to show two reasons, and all of this is coming from the text, two reasons that we can count on Jesus to help us. So how do we know Jesus can help us with our troubled souls? Uh, well, because of these two things we're going to talk about. And then finally, we'll, we'll finish up by talking about our part. There is a part that we need to do, and we'll talk about that at the end. So uh, look with me, please. If you didn't turn there already, uh, open up on a Bible app or in your, your, uh, your analog Bible, as, as some like to say, uh, to uh, uh, Luke, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to look at that, the last really section there in, in Luke chapter 8. 
So we start by asking, who is this peace for? What, what, what kind of troubled souls does Jesus help? And we see two types. And again, they're not the only types, but two of them. We see two types of troubled souls in today's text. Uh, the first type we see are the urgently desperate. The urgently desperate. Jesus brings peace when we are urgently desperate, when we're in crisis situations, when things just life is like spinning out of control and we don't know where else to turn. Jesus offers us peace. He offers us peace. We see this with a man named Jairus. We met Jairus in the part of the text we've heard already. Luke uh, tells us that there's this man named Jairus. He was a synagogue leader, and his daughter was dying. She, she was on the verge of death, uh, Luke shows us. And uh, so I, I say it's a story about two women, but we actually don't know how the daughter feels, do we? She, uh, she's probably unconscious as, as we meet her, but her father and his wife, her mother, uh, they're desperate. Jairus is desperate. I know he's desperate, not just because I can put myself in his spot. You know, his daughter is dying. I've only got one daughter myself. I can, I can connect with him there. But I know he's desperate from the text, right? Because he goes to Jesus. Jairus goes to Jesus. J Jairus is a, a synagogue ruler, we're told. And as you might remember from your reading of the Gospels, Jesus made quite a bit of trouble for people like Jairus. He was not on the favorites list for most synagogue rulers. Uh, he was going around to the synagogues. He was teaching things that offended a lot of them. A lot of the religious establishment was offended by, by Jesus. Most of Jairus' peers and colleagues uh, would, would not have been a fan of Jesus of Nazareth. And so this is, as you picture this story, this is a risky thing. This is a risky thing for, G for Jairus to do. <laughs> Asking for Jairus to go and ask Jesus for help, it's a little bit like the, you know, the, the, the head coach at Iowa going to the Iowa State coach and asking for advice. You know, I, I see your team's doing well this year. You know, give me some advice. You know, it, it, it's, it's a risky thing to do. If that gets out in the, in the news, people are going to be, you know, kind of make fun of him a little bit. That's what Jairus is doing here, although it's much worse than just two coaches collaborating. He's, he's risking ostracism. He might even lose his position in the synagogue. Oh, you're one of those Jesus people now, are you? Well, maybe you, you don't need to do that job anymore. He, he's even risking that. But he's desperate. He's desperate. His only daughter, his, his baby girl, is, is on the verge of death. And, and, and that age, that 12, that's a significant age in their culture. She's, uh, she's about to become a woman. Right? So she's about to become a woman. She will, she, if she isn't already, she will soon be betrothed. She will, she will get married. Um, you know, in, in those teen years is kind of when that would happen in that culture. Uh, it, it's not too long before she's off with a husband bearing grandchildren for Papa Jairus. Right? All of that's at stake for this man. But she's sick. She's sick. She's not getting better. She's lying there. She's, she's dying. And, and his, his hopes and his dreams are, are, are dying with her. He's desperate. Sometimes we face times like that, desperate situations. There's, a, there's an awful car accident, or there's a, a cancer diagnosis, or there's some kind of a crisis in our professional life. Maybe our industry is collapsing, or the company's relocating, or, or maybe one of our children gets sick and, and doesn't get better. You know? Or maybe you know, something related to COVID, you've lost someone, or you yourself are sick from it. These kinds of, of desperate situations. Jesus can help us. Jesus can help us when we do those things because we see him help Jairus, right? He helps Jairus with his urgently desperate situation. So that's one type we see. The other type of, of troubled soul we see in this text that we're looking at today are, uh, I want to use the term chronically suffering. 
So I have the urgently desperate, those who are in a crisis situation, but then he also helps those for whom it's just going on and on and on, right? And so it's the chronically suffering, their troubles. It, it isn't at, a, it isn't at a, a high boil. It's on the back burner, but it's just a, a constant simmer of trouble and suffering. Uh, we see this with, the, with the, woman who's, the, the woman we meet as the story unfolds. She's suffering from a, a chronic bleeding disorder, and her life was, was filled with low, like I say, simmering, ongoing suffering. Right? The girl's illness, we get the impression that had come suddenly, but this woman had been dealing with this. Actually, it's, it's an interesting connection. Uh, the, as long as that little girl had been alive, this woman had been suffering. They didn't know each other. There's no indication they were connected to each other. But as long as that little girl had been alive, this woman had been suffering with this bleeding condition that she had. We actually have a pretty good idea of what she suffered from. Uh, it was probably, I mean, we don't have a medical chart to look at, but a lot of uh, people who study this kind of thing say what she has sounds an awful lot like an obstetric fistula. That's apparently what it's called, an obstetric fistula. I will not even attempt to go into the, the medical details, but basically uh, an obstetric fistula is an injury from giving birth. It's a childbirth injury. injury. And it, and it happens when labor does not progress. And so when labor um, kind of stops and, and begins to stretch on, sometimes even for days, the labor won't progress. Um, this kind of injury, that's when this sort of injury is, is most likely to happen. Uh, in modern hospitals, they have ways to deal with this. Uh, you know, there, there will be a, you know, a C-section, a surgery will happen when, 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 if there's any threat to the mom or the baby. Um, and, and even if a fistula occurs, they can repair these things. They can repair these things today uh, surgically, relatively easily. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a procedure, it's a, but, but it can be repaired. But in Jesus' day, there was no surgery to, to deal with this. There was no way to, to deal with it. And so when this would happen to a woman, uh, it was catastrophic. It was absolutely catastrophic. It was devastating to a woman when, when she had this injury in, in childbirth. For one thing, the baby almost always died, right? Because it was connected to a labor that wouldn't progress, it was almost always the case that the baby, uh, she would lose her baby, so she's, she's got that. And then on top of that, the bleeding wouldn't stop. It's the nature of the, of the injury is such that the bleeding just keeps bleeding. And, and sometimes, depending on what was damaged, sometimes it's also accompanied by incontinence. And so she's bleeding and she's, she's um, that way as well. And, and so often, just we know this from what happens in contemporary kind of third world cultures where this sort of thing can still happen sometimes, uh, but we also know in, from the ancient world, uh, many times these women would be abandoned. Right, many instances, her husband would, would, uh, would divorce her. This was actually, some, many rabbis would, would argue this was grounds for a divorce. She was not able now to have a baby because uh, often um, she would not be able to have, have a child after the, afterwards. And, and so um, many of them were, were abandoned, thrown out of their homes. And so she's dealing with abandonment, isolation. Uh, and because of the bleeding that doesn't stop, she's ritually unclean. So she can't even go uh, to the synagogues and to the temple to have, uh, to, to at least to have some comfort there. From a religious perspective, she's basically in the same category as a leper. And then on top of all of that, Mark tells us, this isn't Luke, it's Mark, but Mark tells us that she had spent all of her money, right? Whatever resources she'd had, she'd spent it all trying to find somebody who could help her. And so she'd tried every doctor, every treatment, every remedy. Uh, she'd tried it all, Mark 5, verse 26. She'd tried it all and none of it helped. And that was this woman's life for 12 years, 12 long years of pain, 
discomfort, poverty, isolation, loneliness, separated from everybody else, cut off even from, 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 the, cult, from, from the temple. Uh, and finally, right, how desperate was she? How much was she suffering? Finally, her suffering became so terrible, she decided to take a risk too. It's a connection between her and Jairus. That's why I believe these two stories go together. Jairus takes a risk by going to Jesus. This woman takes a risk by going to Jesus. Right? Because she's, she's decided that she needs to touch him. Right? If I can just touch the, the, the hem of his robe, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And this is a very risky thing for her to do. Because remember, she's unclean. She might as well be a leper as far as the religious, uh, religious uh, way of looking at it goes. And so she's going to sneak up on Jesus, and we're told there's a crowd. Luke tells us there's a crowd, right? Luke says there's a big crowd, he says in verse 40. And, and so she's pushing through this crowd. Absolutely, of course she's touching people. She's bumping them. All it takes is for one person to recognize her, and there's a big scene. Not to even mention how Jesus might respond, right? But even just the people around um, if anybody recognizes her, they might, uh, they might even physically attack her, but at the very least, they're going to withdraw in disgust for this woman, from, from this woman. But that's worth it. That's how, how desperate that she is. That's how, how profoundly difficult her, her suffering has been. She's going to take that risk because she's tired. She's tired of the loneliness, the isolation, the poverty, the pain, the suffering. She doesn't want to live that way anymore. She's going to do whatever she needs to do to address it. I think some of us listening to this right now identify more with her than we do with Jairus. Right? You, you, you connect with that because your suffering isn't, isn't kind of urgent, it isn't desperate in that sense, but, but it's kind of this ongoing, difficult, hard thing that you've been living with. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a financial struggle. Uh, maybe you have uh, children who've walked away from the Lord. Uh, maybe it's depression. Maybe it, it's, it's grief. You know, grief just rises to the surface sometimes this time of year. Maybe it's an, an addiction of some kind or some out-of-control habit uh, that, that you can't get away from, and, and, and it really it burdens you so much it's like a, a form of suffering. Maybe your marriage is strained and has been for years. Maybe you hate your job and you've hated it for years. There's, there's lots of different ways to suffer. Right? It's not always like what Jairus is dealing with. Sometimes it's suffering on a low, on a low boil, a, a suffering on a simmer, but it's still suffering. And Jesus can help us with those too. Because if you connect with any of that, what we're talking about, what we're celebrating this time of year, it offers us some good news. Christmas offers good news for people who are struggling chronically and suffering chronically and are urgently desperate. There's good news. And the good news is that Jesus offers peace. He's the Prince of Peace. It's that Isaiah 9 verse. We saw in that little clip video there. Uh, he, he offers peace to our troubled souls. But how do you know? How can we be sure that he will do that? I mean, that's all well and good. He did that for these people that we read in this text. But how do we know he'll help us? How do we know he'll help us? And the answer, I believe, is again, it's in the text. Because what we see here, it's not just for these these two families, these two people, it's principial. And what we see here are two reasons that any of us, any of us and all of us, two reasons we can count on Jesus to bring peace because they don't have to do with the circumstances of the situations, they have to do with Jesus and who he is. So here they are. Reason number one of why we can be sure he'll bring us peace is that he has the power. He can do it. He can do it. Jesus has the power to help us. He is not hamstrung by our circumstances or our shortcomings. He has the power to help us. 
We see this in both of these stories. These are both powerful stories in terms of what Jesus does for these people. First, we see it with the woman. Uh, Luke says when, when she touched, so she's got this idea in her head, if I can just get to him and touch him, uh, I will be healed. Luke tells us that's exactly what happens. When the woman touches Jesus' clothing, her bleeding stopped immediately. Immediately. And this idea of immediacy, it's, it's Luke's way of, well, it's what happened, but it's also Luke's way of stressing to us the power. Uh, when she touched him, um, she was healed immediately. She's going to say this in verse 47. When I touched you, she says, I was immediately healed. And then the, the text actually is even more specific in terms of the power. Uh, the reason she was healed, Luke spells it out, the reason she was healed is that power went out. Right? Power went out from Jesus. So here's Jesus, there's power in Jesus. It's like plugging in your toaster or something. I, mean, I don't mean to be flipped with that, but, but that's sort of the picture. Jesus has the power, she touches him, and the power went out from him to her. And, and he felt it. It's, Luke isn't being metaphorical. Jesus feels it. He doesn't see her. He doesn't hear her. He feels the power leave him. He feels the power leave his, his being. And she feels it too, right? So there's, there's power here. She feels this power because that's how she would know. If you think about the nature of her, her, uh, her issue, as I've described it, she wouldn't know instantly unless she felt the power. And so she knew immediately. She feels something change. And so he has the power. He has the power to cure this woman's incurable problem. And, and, and this is actually how I got to this text in the first place, because there's lots of passages in the Bible we could, um, we could look at to talk about what I'm talking about today. But I got to this one because of what he says to her next. All right, so she, she touches him, power goes out from him to her. He's got the power. And look what the power gives her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That wholeness, that restoration I talked about a few minutes ago, he's brought it to her, right? He has brought peace. Emmanuel brings peace. God with us brings peace, in this case, to this chronically suffering woman. We also see it with uh, the other story, right? So we come back now to Jairus and his daughter. Uh, there's power there, too. And if it's possible, this one's even more spectacular than the first one. Uh, let, me, let me read now. I'm going to pick up where, uh, where we left off before. I'm going to pick up with verse 49 and read the rest of the story. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So just when it seems like things couldn't get worse for Jairus, they do. Right, as they're hurrying along, and, uh, and you can imagine him feeling maybe a little impatient when Jesus stops, kind of, what are you doing? Let's go, my daughter's sick. But Jesus stops to deal with this other situation. And, and then as, as that's being uh, dealt with, um, out she comes, uh, out, out a messenger, a messenger catches up and he says, she's dead. Your daughter's dead. Don't, don't trouble the, the, the teacher anymore. Your only daughter has died. But then Jesus speaks up. Jesus speaks up right away. He says, not so fast only believe. 
only believe and she will be well. And he goes with them. We're not given much more there. He goes with them to the house. Uh, he sees the mourners outside. That's clearer in some of the parallel texts from, from the other gospels. That's what happens. He arrives. The mourners are outside uh, wailing. He says, stop your wailing. She's not dead. She's asleep. Uh, Luke reports that detail. They laugh. They laugh. And you know, it's, you're like, well, that's rude. Why are they laughing at Jesus? But they're laughing because she's dead, right? I mean, so their laughter is meant to be a confirmatory detail. She's dead. She's not just kind of almost dead. She's dead, right? They're laughing because they've confirmed it themselves. That's why they're they're mourning. And even the story, even the, the detail, verse 55 says her spirit returned, right? Her spirit returned to her. You can't return unless you've left, so her spirit has left, and now her spirit has come back. So, so she wasn't just almost dead, right? It's not that she was in a coma or something like that. She's, she's dead. She, she's, she's very dead, if I can put it that way. And so why does Jesus say what he says? Why does Jesus say, well, she, no, she's asleep? Why does he say that? Well, the answer is, is that he's, he's looking ahead. He's looking ahead to what he's about to do. And so I think there's a statement here even about the permanency of death. There might be some, maybe there's a strategic reason too because he's going to tell this couple not to tell a lot of people just yet. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to keep a low profile, but it's uh, hard to keep a low profile when you're, G, when you're Jesus. But, 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 he, 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 but he's mostly making, I think, a, a statement about the permanency of death. Yes, we think of death as so permanent, but when Jesus is involved, it's, no much, it's not much more than a nap. Right? She's going to get up. And so you've got this picture, the mourners are laughing at him, Jesus ignores them, he goes in the house, he doesn't bring everybody, just Peter, James, and John, and the parents of the girl, uh, they go into the room where she is lying uh, now in, uh, and I want to say in state, but not in state, but she's lying on her deathbed, he goes into the room, and he, he takes her by the hand, and he speaks to her, he says, little girl, get up, Ar- child, arise, child, arise. There's actually a double sense to that command. Um, because the Greek word means sit up, right? So she's lying down, so he says, little girl, sit up. But this is the same phrase that's going to be used in the Gospels for the resurrection. Uh, at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 6, the angel will tell the women, he's not here, he has gotten up. He's risen. It's the same word that Luke uses here. He is not here, he has risen. And so Jesus says, my, my, my child, uh, arise. My child, get up. And she does. <laughs> She does. Her spirit returns to her body and she got up at once. Does Jesus have power? Does Jesus have power to bring peace to to my troubled soul and to your troubled soul? You bet he does. You bet he does. It wasn't just angels singing over the heavens over a baby. Oh, that's so peaceful. Glory Glory to God in the highest. No, he has power then and now to bring peace to our troubled soul. But that's only half the story. So yes, he has the power, but the other part of this is that he wants to. He also has the compassion. He has the power to help us, and he has the want to. He has the desire. He has the compassion. And we see his compassion in this story too. It's all, it runs all through it. Uh, First of all, we see it in the simple fact that he goes with Jairus. Don't take that for granted. He goes with Jairus. Right? There's been no hint up to this point that Jairus is a supporter of Jesus. Right? This isn't one of his guys. No, if anything, you, your, your assumption should be that Jairus has been a critic like everybody else. But that doesn't matter to Jesus. This man needs help, and Jesus goes with him. Right? Jesus, who says in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Here he is, loving a man who very likely, before this moment, was, would have, this man would have counted Jesus as, as his enemy. 
Jesus goes with Jairus to his house. Uh, we see his compassion um, in the way he talks to the woman. Right? So verse 48. Right? So, so he, he feels power go out from him. And he asks what happened. Um, and and uh, she's expecting. So remember, picture this encounter. This is always, I always like to try to do this with these stories that are so familiar to so many of us. Uh, and we, we take certain responses for granted, but, but this, is, this should be a surprise. What she's expecting, right? She comes forward trembling. Why does she fall trembling at his feet when, when he calls her out? Why does she do that? Because what she's expecting is, you shouldn't have touched me, you unclean woman. How dare you? You shouldn't have done that. Now I'm all unclean and I got to go purify myself, right? That's what she's expecting from him. Instead, he calls her daughter daughter. I can't say for sure, but I would bet those were the first kind words she has heard from someone, especially from a man in years. Daughter. There's a gentleness, a tenderness in those words, especially, look at how Luke weaves his stories together, especially with Jairus standing right there, a man who is so urgently concerned for his daughter. Well, Jesus is urgently concerned for his daughter, too. He's concerned for her. So this, this compassionate response to her, he calls her daughter. You see it again in verse 50. Uh, the messenger comes, tells Jairus, your daughter has died. What does Jesus do? He comforts him. All right, Jesus, right there on the spot. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. All right, Jairus gets what is arguably the worst news of his life, and Jesus says, uh, it's okay. He's right there. Jesus is right there with words of comfort to this man. He didn't have to say that, but he does. You know, even the part about the food, this quirky little detail at the end where he says, go get her some food, right? So he brings her back to life. She sits up, and you can imagine everybody like, whoa! You know, can you imagine? The the disciples, their jaws maybe are on the floor, and Jesus is like, get her something to eat. Get her something to eat. And, you know, again, uh, one reason to do this is to prove that she's alive, um, she's not a ghost. She's not a zombie. She's alive. Dead people don't, don't eat, but she's alive, so she needs some food. But I think it's also just this act of tender compassion. The girl's been sick, right? She probably hasn't eaten in days. <laughs> she's, she's probably hungry. Uh, and, and so he's, yeah, he knows what she needs. He's thinking like a parent. He's thinking like a, like a, like a mom or a dad. You know, she's hungry. Get her, get her some food. And so you even see in this tiny little detail, you even see his, his compassion there. And the point of all of that, when you just read through these two stories layered together like this, you, you see it. Jesus, he, he really cares about these people. He genuinely cares about this woman. He genuinely cares about Jairus and, and Jairus' wife and Jairus' daughter. He's not just using these people to make a point. Right? They're not just characters in some stained glass window. He's, 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 he cares about them. He loves them. And it applies to us, too. He cares about us too. He, he wants to bring peace to our troubled souls and the troubles we're facing just as much as he did for those people in the passages we're looking at today. So he has the power, he has the compassion. There's one more part we need to talk about though in these two stories and it's the part we've got to do. So far everything's been him, it's everything he does. What do we need to do in this? What's our part? Our part is to reach out. We need to reach out. Our part is to reach out to Jesus. And we, again, we see this in our, our, the friends we've made in this passage today. We, we see it with the woman. She reaches out. She reaches out to Jesus. Right? She, she's not calling from, from the side of the crowd, hey, teacher, can you help me over here? No, she, she reaches out. She, she, she even even to the, to the point of taking all those risks I talked about, pushing through the crowd where the first person who recognizes her is going to push her away. She, she does all this because she believes that he can help her. 
She believes he can bring her peace. That's why Jesus says what he says in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Uh, She's healed, not because she believed hard enough. That's not what that passage means. That's not what that means. She's healed because of the one she believed in, right? So it's not because she, she was so persistent. That's not why she's healed. She's healed because she reached out to Jesus. She reached out to Jesus. And so her faith made her well. He gave her peace because she reached out to him. And then we see with Jairus too. Jairus and his daughter, um, like I said, just coming to Jesus at all takes faith. This man has to get over some biases and some prejudices he has uh, about the teaching of Jesus. Uh, He's reaching out to Jesus. He's taking risks, maybe professionally. He's putting his synagogue position on the line, but it's worth it. He's, maybe he's seen some things from a distance. Maybe he's heard some stories. We don't know his backstory, but what he has seen has brought him to the point where he's ready to reach out to Jesus. He reaches out to him. And Jesus encourages that, right? That's the part Jesus will zoom in on and encourage for him, right? He says, do not fear, only believe. So he commends the woman for her faith, and then he commends Jairus for his, only believe. Keep believing, right? And she will be, she will be well. I know it doesn't look good right now, Jairus, right? I know that guy just said she's dead, but, but don't give up. Don't give up when, when you reach out to me. When you reach out to me, I'll bring you peace. And again, I think there's a principle here for us. It's not just a story that happened to these different people here in the scriptures. Uh, He does the same for us. He offers the same for us. No matter what the troubles are that we're facing, chronic, urgent, anything in between, when we trust him, when we reach out to him, he meets us there and he brings us peace, just like he did for these folks. I began this morning by uh, telling you about this, this peace light thing. And I got to admit, I'd actually never heard of this. I don't think it's a huge thing. I was just kind of reading this week, and I happened to run into a news story about this. And, and so, I, like I said, I'm not saying we should you know, become a peace light church here at our church or something like that. But, but I started with that because I like... I lo- well, here's what I like about that, that news story I saw. I like its beginnings. I like how it starts Because that light that gets passed around the world among different churches, it doesn't start on Mount Olympus, right? You think of the the Olympic flame. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the Olympic flame. They light the torch at Mount Olympus and then carry it around the world to wherever the next Olympiad is. Not this one. This one doesn't start on Mount Olympus. It it doesn't start at the United Nations. It doesn't start in a university. It doesn't start in Congress or Parliament. It it doesn't start in any man-centered structure at all. It starts in a church, and not just any church, but a specific church, a church in Bethlehem that marks the birth of Jesus, right? It marks the birth of Jesus, and that's, that's where it all starts, right? It starts, that's where, what, what hope is there for peace, whether we're talking about peace for the world, peace for nations, peace for me, and peace for you. Where does it all start? It starts with Christmas. It starts with the birth of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, born to bring his people peace. That's where it starts. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you so much for uh, the promise of peace that we have in and through our Savior. Uh, And uh, I just want to pray for myself and for uh, everyone who's hearing my voice, whether it's online later or now or those in this room right now. Uh, Thank you so much for, uh, for the offer of peace. And I pray that you would help us to walk in your peace, to do what the people in these stories today did, to reach out to you, uh, believing, um, no matter how strong our belief is, when it's, when it's aimed at you, when you are the object of our faith, you meet us there. And so I pray that you would bring peace to our troubled souls with the different difficulties and hardships and suffering 
uh, maybe even some crises that some are, are, are facing right now. Meet us in those things and bring peace to our souls. Help us through these troubles. And in all of it, may Jesus Christ be praised. And it's in his name we pray all this. Amen.